1: Welcome to gamesatwork.biz. This is Michael Martin, one of your co-hosts, and I'm delighted to be here today. A little different day than usual cuz it's March, it's North Carolina, and it's snowing. Uh with my good friend and fellow co-host and fellow co-founder and fellow co-co, co-coco coco co Mr. Michael Rowe. Hey, Michael. How are you today? Hey, Michael.
0: It's snowing. You've got snow at your place?
1: I've got snow.
0: We don't. No snow. Well, you should have snow. Snow Send is, it my way.
1: I'm, I'm, I'll 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 see what I can do. I'll, I'll set You'll work up the on that hair dryer and try to blow it in your direction.
0: I'll make sure it's on the cold setting. Because yes. if you have it on the warm setting, it'll just be rain that all will, the time. That would be bad. Yeah, it's this is uh, this is not. <laughs> we've had plenty though. of that. <laughs> That's true.
1: <laughs> Uh, so we're we're um, we're we're a person short today, but we will carry on. We will sally forth, and we will go through a bunch of some really interesting topics for this week's episode. Starting off, Michael, with something you know an awful lot about because you've been working on this and getting experiences, and you're asking the the. Um, the listening audience here for their assistance with your project. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about the greeting card project and what you're looking to do.
0: Yeah. So, uh, as, as you know, cause you're one of my testers and there's a few testers out there. I've been working on this app. Oh gosh, three years now, just because it's, been it's that long. It's well, yes, it has been at least three years. Cause, uh, I, I worked on it at WWDC in its very first incarnation, two WWDCs in person ago. So that would have been twenty eighteen. Wow. So it's been almost four years that I've been messing around with this. So you basically need an I
1: anniversary was... card for this.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so um basically it's a simple app. Uh it's it's in test flight right now. I've got four or five testers out there. And it uh tracks which greeting cards you send to people. Mm-hmm. And The main reason I started writing it was years ago, I wanted to learn core data on iOS, and this allowed me the opportunity to do an application that actually had a meaningful database on it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I said, you know, it'd be really cool is if I wrote that data to the cloud (laughs) so that you could share it across your devices. So I have that working. Yeah. Then I rewrote it from the ground up and made it so that it's a Mac app as well as an iOS and an iPad app. I'm playing around with a, a watch idea, uh, but uh, we'll we'll see about that. And I keep playing with. I don't know if this thing's ever going to be released, uh, but the the idea is. Um, I decided that what would be really good is to have an image classifier that will allow... Because let me back up. What does the app do? It tracks the cards you send to people so that uh, you don't send them the same card twice. Ooh, right? That would be embarrassing. And so yeah, it is. And so what you do is you... you uh, pull somebody out of your contacts list, uh, it pre-populates, you know, where are you are going to send it to, uh, and then you take a picture of the card and you say, this is a birthday card, or this is a Christmas card, or this is a flag day, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I thought about it a couple of years back, and I was like, you know, it would be really great to actually have an image classifier and take a picture of the card and have it guess as closely as it can say, Hey, it looks like you're trying to send a Christmas card. Kind of like Clippy, right? It'd be like, Hey, it looks like you're trying to send a Christmas card. <laughs> um, and so I've been collecting for a few years now, various pictures of cards and, uh, I've created a classifier and it works pretty well, about 70 odd percent accurate. That's pretty it good. says, That's pretty good. um, it does have a problem between Christmas and Valentine's Day sometimes, just because I guess all the red mm. <laughs> and and snowflakes and hearts and things like that. I don't know uh, because the the Core ML um, classifiers that you can create on on uh, Apple devices don't really tell you why it chose something, right? Uh, especially. If it would give me uh, a Valentine's as like 43% and a Christmas as 46% and, you know, Flag Day as 12%, then I could say, oh, well, you know, it's a little ambiguous. But right now I've got cards, and I showed you an example before the show, right. that say this is 100% a Valentine's Day card, and it's a Christmas card. <laughs> so, so obviously, my sample size of my machine learning algorithm is not great enough. So, um, you know... Anybody out there uh, wants to snap a picture of some cards, send them my way. Uh, we'll have a link in the show notes on where you can do that. And that would be great. I would really appreciate it. And what it got me thinking about is machine learning in general and some cool stuff that are going on. And I found an article this week about something that the DeepMind team is doing with AI mm-hmm. to decipher Old text. It's, it, it figures out what date they are written and roughly where it was written. Uh, and it's using classifiers and a data set, I think, of something like 70,000 or more uh, different uh, Greek inscriptions to reverse engineer or learn the patterns to figure out what might be missing in the text as well as to identify what it is. So it's 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 kind of like giving us a translation engine as well as an identification engine huh. of ancient Greek text, which I think is really cool. I I like the
1: visualization that is in this particular article where it's kind of filling in the gaps. So the thing that strikes me as an intriguing possibility is not just the where and the when, but the who, right? Because people and their communication styles, especially when they are like chiseled into stone, which is the case for a number of these things, it's not always, it's papyrus, it's a whole range of things. You you might... Because of how um, uncommon it would be to create something that would last this long and the amount of effort you'd have to go through to make something like this happen, you might be able to figure out who wrote it. And so you could place
0: it not just in time and in space, but also who. Well, it's it's interesting because I know you and I have talked about many times uh, how general intelligence is so hard to do with AI. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I like about this article is it's augmented intelligence. It's not artificial intelligence, right? So there is still expertise needed um, to work with this model and to figure out what's going on. And I think it's a really, really good example of what Kind of the state of the art is now, mm-hmm. um, which is a long way from general intelligence, which is you know the big bear as people call it that people are afraid of when it comes to AI. This this is I think a really really good example of using AI for a very specific task um, and addressing a way of helping a human tried to figure something out. So I I thought this one was really, really interesting. Um, The idea that they can identify within a time period. I, I, I understand what they say they're doing there. But to me, that is also, again, an augmentation of an expert's opinion of when similar texts were written. Because unless you were there, do you know it was written on Thursday? (laughs) <laughs> right? Well,
1: narrowing down to that degree is is probably a little too strong. But um for for those in our listening audience from the state of North Carolina, um a skilled North Carolinian can tell you rather precisely where someone is from because people in Hickory sound just a
0: little bit different than somebody from Oak. Hickory. So, and the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, and you have Germany, the same thing right? with regional accents in England, right? Well, I mean, sure. and it's very hyper regional. And dialects, uh, you know, add into accents. it as well.
1: So there, there's a lot of yeah. ways you can narrow some things down. Uh, what I wonder is whether the DeepMind people who are involved in this, and they probably are, are leveraging the same intelligence and machine learning kinds of actions that have been used now for quite a long while for um, type ahead text. So, when someone is writing a, uh, an email or a document or just responding to a, a text, Google search, yeah, right? Or a Google search, yeah. That it's now anticipating what might make the most sense and then, therefore, you know, popping it in there. It's, it's Wordle for ancient texts. So, <laughs> this is really cool. I didn't read the Nature yeah. article yet, but I'm looking forward to seeing that.
0: Well, you know, when, when, when you think about AI and texts, um, the other interesting article that came across the Twitter feeds this week is uh, from ZDNet on BCI, right? Brain-Computer yep. Interfaces. And we've talked about these recently, too. Uh, this one is uh, research that is being done to understand language in the brain and actually take that information and let you think words uh, into existence for lack of a better term, right? To communicate with thought only, um, which, you know, when you think about people who have, um, age related or dementia related issues where you can't speak anymore, but they get frustrated because they know what they're trying to say. And it's just not going from the brain to the vocal cords. This type of research I find fascinating.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. And when the, you consider the applicability of immersive environments, such as the metaverse topics we've been talking about here recently or, or others, and the ability for the system to customize, tailor, uh, anticipate what the user is looking for, needing, wanting, etc., cetera, um, it allows for that feedback loop of, is this right? Not quite? Let's correct it. Let's get it closer. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the The feedback loop here is going to be getting faster and faster, and it will be that you can manifest things into reality, uh, or at least virtual or augmented reality, I- incredibly easily for this kind of structure. So, yeah.
0: What What's interesting about this research? Uh, I don't know if you remember a few years back, Facebook. Uh, before they were meta were working on some brain computer interface text identification, uh-huh. figure out your thoughts uh, and they were using headsets right yeah uh, what what you really have with this is significantly more invasive uh, it 's it 's the, the best way to describe it, it's like a sheet of paper. Yeah, the polymer that's kind of thing, yeah. wrapped around the top of your brain, <laughs> as in the brain, not the skull, the brain itself. Um, and using that, it gives a, a, a sensor array that covers a much wider area, which allows you to pinpoint certain electrical impulses inside the brain, deep down in the brain. Uh, we've talked many many times about our friends over at emotive and their headset and gosh i can't believe it's been 12 years i think since i played with their headset when it first came out and with that you could think six or eight words right and that was with uh i'm trying to remember if it was a 12 sensor adapter right on the skull uh but eight words this uh, I think they said they can get up to 50 words with this polymer wrapped around the top of the brain Uh, so so it requires training in this case 200 repeats of each word with the polymer wrapped on your brain uh, getting you to 50 words and that's really a statement of brain resolution right if you think about it of the three dimensional position of electrical impulse inside or a series of electrical impulses inside the brain right and so it's using that to identify the the electrical image of the entire brain in 3D to identify this is the word the <laughs> right. This is blue, right? Or whatever, um, whatever those 50 words are that you can train. Uh, when, when we get to the point where, again, moving forward to general intelligence, right, that means full brain mapping down to the cellular level. Uh, at this point, it's large scale pattern interpretation with 128 sensors is what it's saying. OK, still interesting very important, especially you talk about um, any type of degenerative disease where you can't communicate, this will be very important. Uh, The question is, can you train in advance? Right? Because that's what you're going to have to do unless we discover that Based off of the language set, and this would be really interesting, but let's, let me, uh, I'll get to it. Based off the language set, everybody thinks blue and the same 140 electrons popping up in the brain in the same way, right? So that it doesn't matter what language it's in. Or is blue different than blau, right? Or, or you know, or green and grün, right? Or rot, right? Or, you know, choose your language in color. And I'm just choosing colors as something that's pretty... St- abstract, chair, or table, right? These different words, will the brain pattern be the same across languages, meaning that our brains are all kind of wired the same? It's just the expression of the language is different? Hmm. That will be interesting to figure out as we progress down the communication gap between how the brain thinks and how you ultimately communicate that thought out through your voice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's early
1: days, certainly, here still, right? And, and with the amount of training, you know, go back to your cards example, you, you need a data set that allows for that level of training to, to occur. Um, I, I think there's a trans-language aspect of this that uh, may be even faster to get to because there are feelings that are ubiquitous in the human condition, and were there an ability to get those feelings understood, so not just pure sentiment, because that's language, but feelings, um, that could be then understood and potentially acted upon as well. And, and feelings manifest themselves into reality. You can say the same thing, but feel something different, and that will create different outcomes, Uh, I'm, I'm reminded of the, uh, the famous, uh, clip from the movie basketball where the two main protagonists uh, say to one another, dude, and they have at least a uh, 30 second conversation with only the word dude in it. And it conveys a lot of meaning. So uh, there's more, there's more, there's so much more here. Um, and luckily I think for us, Michael, within our lifetime, we're going to be able to see some of these things actually happening. And being useful
0: well i I think we're we're there to some degree already, uh, and let me let me give you a for instance uh, the the emotive insight headset that i've played with for many years does identify certain emotional states right it it'll do um, excitement, boredom uh, concentration right so It has like four or five, and that one is with three sensors, right? So emotional states are much easier to identify with a low number of sensors. Now, that's strong emotions. It's not nuanced emotions like intrigue, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And so I I think getting... The data set of emotions, right, <laughs> will get us partway there because frustration, that's a very important one, right, especially as you're dealing with these types of, uh, of uh, health issues. Uh, and, and I think a combination of the emotional data set as well as the language data set, yeah, it probably will happen in our lifetime, but it's going to be really exciting when it does. Right, and and reading
1: a um, a brain condition, I think, is is something that can be combined with other sensors too. So, if you imagine for a moment the the micro expressions that occur with a, a alarming precision to get to a degree of that person is frustrated or that person is intrigued, and then you can do things where. Gosh, we've we've lived a lot of a lot of life here in our pandemic world, you know. Two years ago, <laughs> like this week, is when things went into serious lockdown. So yeah. uh, with the cameras that are training. I was gonna say us, happy anniversary yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> seriously, right? You, you should have sent a card. Um, and um, one of the one of the things that you can you can see is that the cameras that are trained upon us as we're looking at the screens can provide a feedback loop that could be really quite powerful because if you are sensing frustration and boredom when you're trying to convey an important topic, uh, that might be something where the speaker could be like, "Okay, Michael, Michael, you guys are droning about stuff we don't care about.
0: <laughs> Move on." <laughs> Right, so I well, and we'll see that, and, right? Well, and and happen. if you feel that way, please put a review on our podcast over at Apple Podcasts with GamesAtWork.biz. <laughs> yeah, because because uh, we we want to know how bored you really are. But make sure it's a five star review saying you're bored, because that'll help others find us. <laughs>
1: So, so Michael, there's a, there's another article that's um, you found that I th- I thought is is really intriguing too about uh, taking familiar spaces and then playing games in them. So this this custom home mapper kind of environment reminded me a little bit, and I I, I need to go find it because i can't remember the name but google had a um structure where you could quite quickly easily create a sketchup um, sketchup thank you that's exactly what <laughs> was was thinking of yep. you could sketch up your home and then you could begin to model and say oh all right well at this time in the year the sun is going to be over here which is now going to create these shadows and blah 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 blah, blah. so do i want a window there, or do I want not want a window here? But this one is a little bit newer, where you can scan your home, and then um, I think Andy would like the ability to go play Doom <laughs>
0: in his own home, <laughs> wouldn't we all? <laughs> 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 which, which is which is act- actually, I think this thing uh, this this article came in through our our, our friend eBread uh, on Twitter. Oh, yeah. uh, and the um, the developer has taken. Um, A tool called custom home mapper Mm -hmm. and using the quest is laying out his home and what's not clear from the article and you and i both had this reaction is did the quest do the mapping or did he just use the quest and draw the house right um it would be great if the house ma- got mapped using the quest, you know, walk around with the quest and let it figure out based off of the uh, sensors, you know, positioning and wall depth, you know, where are windows, where are doors, where are ceilings, where are floors, uh and and map out the house. Um and then uh, which to me that would be cool. That's what I want. That's what I want. I I, I want to be able to map that out. I've tried that with various apps on my uh, on my iPhone, which does have Mm -hmm. you know the depth sensor and lidar, all that. Yeah, and it's still it's still not very great. Um, But to be able to map it out is the cool part to me. And then (laughs) what they've done is they've taken. Their own take on a bunch of classic old 8 bit video games and laid them down as games in their house, like Snake. So, a three dimensional Snake game. Yep. Right. Which, uh, for those who don't remember Snake, it was one of the early games on a Nokia and- phone. Oh, it was on that. It was on DOS. Yeah. I mean, I remember it everywhere. And basically, you had a dot, and every time you moved one step forward, it would extend by one um, and get longer, and you eventually ran into yourself, right? Um, And there were different versions of snake. There was that one. There was one that you had to eat things, and every time you ate something, it would extend the snake by one block, uh, et cetera. And so so that's kind of interesting. There's a, a, a catapult type game in there. You know, a bunch of fairly simple games that uh, were written back in the day on machines that had 16K of RAM.
1: <laughs> yeah, Slither.io is a great game that does exactly that in the um, iOS ecosystem, too. Ah, okay. If you haven't had, a chance I knew there to
0: had to yet. be a yeah, couple of I mean, different snake all, games on. They're
1: all over the place. So, so here here's an idea for for Ryan and and the folks over at Curious VR, who, who's the developer for these things. So, um, maybe you could now create a hide and seek kind of game where you can miniaturize the player. So, yeah, I live in an <laughs> apartment, and here it is. And now I'm going to miniaturize myself, and then I'm going to hide in your apartment somewhere, and you have to come find me.
0: Okay. I don't want you hiding in my apartment. I don't know who the heck you are. What the hell are you doing in my apartment? (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? It's like, darn it, there's someone there in the kitchen cabinet. Yikes. What you do is you take that and you tie it in. What was the game? Um, It wasn't a game. It was, um, I can't remember if it was Microsoft or somebody that had the paint in the world, three-dimensional paint. Yeah. And it would just stay in that location. If you walked by and used your AR app, suddenly you'd see all these paintings, these three-dimensional sculptures that people put in real world. So if you did that, I'd be like, what are you doing in my cabinets?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, you could hide Easter eggs in the cabinets, right? Yeah. You know? I, I, yeah. So the, cool. so you're very cl- close to the whole digital clutter kind of game. It's like, okay. Oh, yes. How, how many lenses and layers can you put onto something? So anyway, intriguing element uh, and and certainly back again to the whole notion of mapping the real world. So, you could play games to map the real world and real spaces yep. and experiences. And then,
0: and then... And that's where it gets interesting. That's where
1: it gets interesting,
0: right? Because now there's a three-dimensional map in this virtual environment of my home's layout. Somebody can buy ad space to say, hey, you know, there's this couch that we're trying to sell. It's really designed for an apartment of your size. Uh, would you like to see it in your house? Bloop Lay it down. Oh, Yep, buy it. One click, done.
1: Yep, and it's on its way, right?
0: Ah. Well, speaking of things that are on its way. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon is uh, once again creating a new TV show uh, based off rumors off of the God of War game. Did you ever play a God of War? Nope, game? never once. I remember the very first one when it came out. It looked really, really cool. I really wanted to play it, but it was console and I'm not a console gamer. Uh, I think uh, there are PC versions of it now. This looks really neat. Um, Kind of a mix of... Valhalla uh, and you know other first-person shooters, but set in a MMO type environment, et cetera, et cetera, with the uh, kind of Viking world, at least in my mind, it looks like a Viking world. Uh, I-, I figured if Andy were available today, he would know more about the game. But uh, what-, what games would you like to see a movie made out of? None. I think
1: movies ought to be movies and games ought to be games. Um, oh, but you got to watch the Doom movie. That was that was a movie. No. It's a terrible. A <laughs> terrible experience. If I want to play a game, I'd like it to be a game experience where the But what about outcomes, games that are based on movies? I I'm I'm not a, as huge a fan of that either. I think the the next iteration goes back to what we've seen in our cyberpunk experiences, which is you are an actor and you're going to contribute to the outcome of the game and you are, um you will influence what goes on, which you know, is 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 kind of some of the ideas choose that was Choose your own bringing, adventure movie. Well, not not choose my own adventure. It's influence the entire adventure because if you and I are part of the same show, then so you could grief a movie. I, again, it's not griefing. It is influencing the direction. Right. It um, the Royal Shakespeare Company did a really interesting thing last year, where they did a version of A Midsummer Night's Dream, very tailored, mm-hmm. very you know different. We talked about it on, on an earlier version of the podcast, and they've gone and done more since then to be able to say, "Hey, what what's the kind of interaction and experience for an audience that is not physically in the theater?" Mm-hmm. And so part part of this. Again, hearkening back to the cyberpunk kind of examples and the whole notion of reactors is, wouldn't it be interesting and couldn't there be a Twitch kind of experience around this too? It's like, oh, I'm going to follow my favorite people who are now acting, you know, amateur or paid in a, um, an experience. I'm not going to call it a movie, but it's an entertainment experience where the outcome is not known and it is influenced by the people who are taking part in it. That, that I think, is another entire layer of entertainment that will take the best of what we know currently from a game and game experience, the best of what we know currently from a Hollywood experience, blend the two. And just like uh, for those of us that care about sports ball, you never know what the outcome is going to be because that's why you play the game. So. If that's where I would say I would like to see something, I, I really wouldn't give a darn about the next version of Angry Birds being a movie. Seriously, come on. Yeah,
0: see, but 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 I really enjoy a lot of games that are based off of movies, right? There's been some really good Lord of the Rings games. There's been some really good Star Wars games, right? But why? You're not why in the movie? But why do you They're, enjoy those games? Well, it's a known environment that you become a participant in. Which is very different. So, uh, interesting. We we should have a much longer discussion one day on this. Maybe get Andy's in on how do you how do you bridge different modalities of entertainment? Yeah, because that's what we're talking about, right? Exactly,
1: a much more immersive version, and they're going to be people who just want to observe, right? there will be people. They like to watch. Yeah. And there'll be people who want to participate. And there'll be people, just like karaoke, that are terrible. You know, don't ask me to sing. I'm not allowed to sing. (laughs) I already know that, right? That's part of my MO. Everyone can sing. Yeah, well, you keep keep thinking that and just manifest that into reality. (laughs) I'm not one of them. (laughs)
0: Hey, so we're almost at time. You found a great article. Yeah,
1: yeah. So this was a really intriguing one from uh, Gizmodo. And while I'm not like a super heavy biker person, um, this is an augmented reality experience that I thought was really, really, really cool. So the notion here is if I'm biking along um, and I need to know where am I going, um, many of the phone companies – actively do not recommend mounting your phone on your handlebars to help you with your driving, which is kind of interesting because there are a lot of people that mount their phone in their car. Um, I guess you don't have to balance in your car, right? Anywho, the the notion here is that there are, um, let me do the air quotes, laser uh, projected directions that could and should be a feature on every bicycle. So you could mount it in the helmet, you can mount it on the handlebars, and it could be in front of you, telling you where are you going, what's the next turn, how close. It's are a head
0: you. down display. Yes, yes,
1: <laughs> yes. Oh, that—that's cool. I love—I love that. That's a—that's a marketing term right there. Guys, get out there. Michael Rowe, send him yep. royalties. I'll, I'll only take a small fee. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this reminded me, Michael, of your experiences having the, uh, in goggle experience when you swim. Yes. Right. Which I love. Yeah. So this to me is an augmented reality experience that does not require you to wear a pair of ski goggles and have something between you and the world. And rather this shows you on the road in front of you, where you go and what you're doing.
0: the only problem I had with this, well, there were two problems. Yeah. One, the device is huge and I know it's an early device, so it'll get smaller. So that's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. The fact that it displays it in big, bold letters on the ground in front of you means anybody around you knows where you're going. Okay. Say more. That's what I didn't like. Say more. Well, anybody. You're riding by on a bike and... and I look down and I see in front of your bike three miles left. Yeah, and I go, okay. I know where he's going. He's at least going to go three miles forward and then take a left. Okay, you're, you're giving out additional information to the world around you that you may not want to share. So, do do
1: you feel the same way about people using their turn signals in a car? Turn signal
0: is there to let me know what you're doing. Uh huh. Which is is a safety thing. On the bike, you have turn signals. They're your arms. You signal with your arms so people can deal with the free flow of traffic in a safe manner. This is giving me information about potential destination. Well, it could. That's it, too much information. It,
1: it, it absolutely could. Right, You're right. Um, um, so if it says that you're going to the coffee shop you know, follow me to bean traders, right? The, yep. So that, that could be bad or it could be, hey, um, you're continuing to go straight for the moment and that's what you're going to do. So, all right, well, what was the second thing that, that gave you cause for pause?
0: Well, it was it was just too big. It was a big block. And, oh. and like I said, that'll get better yeah, over that'll time. That'll get better. Right? But right now, it's, just, it's it's like a four or five inch cube, wow. right? Wow
1: you know lasers require you know all kinds of stuff right you know you gotta you gotta build the laser cannon (laughs) well
0: (laughs) all right so let's let's move on
1: to the steam deck discussion so it's too bad we don't have andy
0: here because i know this is another one that i i I found just for andy um and i was i I don't think he has his yet i think he said it was mid-march so it should be any time now right um and I was going to ask, had he installed Windows on it yet? And why would you do uh, that? Because because it you gives could. you a full one because you can yeah right <laughs> uh, and and two is it gives you a larger variety of games you can play. Okay, because right? by default it runs SteamOS and it's Steam games, right? Right. Um, now, what they've done and they've committed to it is they're going to allow you to run Windows 10 on it, so so that'll give you a couple more years of gameplay. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as a Windows 11 device requires, you know, TPM 2.0 support, as an example, and that's not built in. Wait, wait. Pause, to pause the pause. hardware
1: for those yep. people that don't know a TPS
0: report from TPM. What does TPM mean? TPM is the Trusted Processing Module, which is a hardware root of trust that um, was put in place. I, it's Intel supports it, AMD supports it, et cetera, in order to give you better security from an a authentication authorization level perspective. Think of your mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Every mobile phone every modern mobile phone, every smart modern mobile phone has some kind of trust zone, right? Where encrypted keys are stored that's outside of control of the operating system. It's at the chip. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's basically the concept of a TPM on a PC motherboard. Got it. Okay. Okay? And so that means you can put stricter controls in the operating system around what can and cannot be installed, ah what right it's it's locking it down but it's also making it more secure so and so windows 11 requires tpm Mm 2.0 support on -hmm. the hardware um and without that you can't install it evidently the steam deck doesn't have tpm 2.0 support so you can't install windows 11 right now not a big deal right windows 11's been out since what middle of last year uh windows 10 is going to be supported for a few more years you're okay but I do think it's interesting that they've now released the drivers for network, Bluetooth, um, graphics, and a few others, which allow you to install Windows 10 on the Steam Deck. And if you've not looked at any of the reviews, of the Steam Deck—yes, it's a work in progress—they've said as much. But it's a pretty cool-looking piece of kit. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed
1: yeah and i guess from a from a form factor perspective that that would make sense for what you just described because for the same price point you can actually get a pretty decent machine that would do all that on windows anyway but the migration right. of the controls and blah 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 make that right. a better thing
0: so and, and we had one more just to kind of wrap out yeah. right uh, wrap together an ancient game <laughs> Um, The Switch is continuing its release of old N64 games. And um, did you ever play F-Zero? Nope. Uh, I didn't either. I didn't have a Switch. uh, But it looks like 90% of the games that I played in the 90s. (laughs) Right? Uh, Racing game in 3D, 8.5-bit graphics, maybe 16-bit graphics, but very cool. It was, it was nice to see this coming out
1: well it's it's nice to see gonna and we do have a switch in our family that um that this is an older n64 game so that you can still play it although according to this article it is uh the 13th to be added to an expansion pack uh, annual subscription mm-hmm. which probably ain't gonna happen because <laughs> I don't have the, <laughs> I don't have the uh, the the fond memories of this particular one. You know, if it were Tecmo Bowl, that might be a different story, but not this one.
0: Well. What, what games are you, our listeners, looking forward to have a revitalization? Uh, games from when you were young on your various consoles or, or PCs or whatever? What, what, what are you looking forward? Why don't you let us know and go over to Twitter at gamesatwork__biz and tweet at us. We'd love to hear from you. it
1: would be a lot of fun. Thanks, everyone, for listening in for this episode. And uh, stay tuned because uh, there'll be another one coming on the heels of this in about a week. See ya.
0: Bye. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at GamesAtWork_biz underscore biz or at our website at Gamesatwork.biz.